Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. centers around four small animals, mole, rat, toad, and badger. Their stories take place in the countryside of Edwardian England. To listen to this series easily in order, go to snoozecast.com series. In the last episode, Toad can't help himself but steal automobiles to race through the English countryside. This lands him in jail, but a kindly maiden takes pity on him and helps him break free. Now, he is on the run. Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. faced eastwards, so Toad was called at an early hour, partly by the bright sunlight streaming in on him, partly by the exceeding coldness of his toes, which made him dream 
that he was at home in bed in his own handsome room with the Tudor window on a cold winter's night, and his bedclothes had got up, grumbling and protesting they couldn't stand the cold any longer, and had run downstairs to the kitchen fire to warm themselves, and he had followed on bare feet along miles and miles of icy, stone-paved passages, arguing and beseeching them to be reasonable. He would probably have been aroused much earlier had he not slept for some weeks on straw over stone flags and almost forgotten the friendly feeling of thick blankets pulled well up round the chin. Sitting up, he rubbed his eyes first and his complaining toes next, wondered for a moment where he was, looking round for familiar stone wall and little barred window. Then, with a leap of the heart, remembered everything, his escape, his flight, his pursuit, remembered first and best thing of all that he was free. Free. The word and the thought alone were worth fifty blankets. He was warm from end to end as he thought of the jolly world outside waiting eagerly for him to make his triumphal entrance, ready to serve him and play up to him, anxious to help him and to keep him company, as it always had been in days of old, before misfortune fell upon him. He shook himself and combed the dry leaves out of his hair with his fingers, and, his toilet complete, marched forth into the comfortable morning sun. Cold but confident, hungry but hopeful, all nervous terrors of yesterday dispelled by rest and sleep and frank and heartening sunshine. He had the world all to himself that early summer morning. The dewy woodland, as he threaded it, was solitary and still. The green fields that succeeded the trees were his own to do as he liked with. The road itself, when he reached it, in that loneliness that was everywhere, seemed, like a stray dog, to be looking anxiously for company. Toad, however, was looking for something that could talk and tell him clearly which way he ought to go. It is all very well when you have a light heart and a clear conscience and money in your pocket and nobody scouring the country for you to drag you off to prison again to follow where the road beckons and points, not caring whither. The practical toad cared very much indeed, and he could have kicked the road for its helpless silence 
when every minute was of importance to him. The reserved rustic road was presently joined by a shy little brother in the shape of a canal, which took its hand and ambled along by its side in perfect confidence, but with the same tongue-tied, uncommunicative attitude towards strangers. Bother them, said Toad to himself. But anyhow, one thing's clear. They must both be coming up from somewhere and going to somewhere. You can't get over that, Toad, my boy. So he marched on patiently by the water's edge. Round a bend in the canal came plodding a solitary horse, stooping forward as if in anxious thought. From rope traces attached to his collar stretched a long line, taut but dipping with his stride, the further part of it dripping pearly drops. Toad let the horse pass and stood waiting for what the fates were sending him. With a pleasant swirl of quiet water at its blunt bow, the barge slid up alongside him, its gaily painted gunwale level with the towing path, its sole occupant a big stout woman wearing a linen sunbonnet, one brawny arm laid along the tiller. A nice morning, ma'am she remarked to Toad as she drew up level with him. I dare say it is, ma'am, responded Toad politely as he walked along the towpath abreast of her, dressed as the laundry woman. Where might you be headed, ma'am? asked the barge woman. Down the river, ma'am close to a fine house called Toad Hall that somewheres hereabouts in these parts. Perhaps you may have heard of it, replied Toad. Toad Hall? Why, I'm going that way myself, replied the barge woman. This canal joins the river some miles further on, a little above Toad Hall, and then it's an easy walk. You come along in the barge with me and I'll give you a lift. She steered the barge close to the bank, and Toad, with many humble and grateful acknowledgments, stepped lightly on board and sat down with great satisfaction. Toad's luck again, thought he. I always come out on top. After a ways, Toad grew bored, and jumped off the barge for a swim to shore. Running swiftly, he overtook the horse that was steadily pulling the barge along, unfastened the tow rope and cast off, jumped lightly on its back, and urged it to a gallop by kicking it vigorously in the sides. He steered for the open country, abandoning the towpath and swinging his steed down a ruddy lane. Once he looked back, 
and saw that the barge had run aground on the other side of the canal, and the barge woman was waving wildly and shouting, Stop, stop, stop. I've heard that song before, said Toad, laughing, as he continued to spur his steed onward in its wild career. The barge horse was not capable of any very sustained effort, and its gallop soon subsided into a trot, and its trot into an easy walk. But Toad was quite contented with this, knowing that he, at any rate, was moving, and the barge was not. Now he had done something he thought really clever, and he was satisfied to jog along quietly in the sun, steering his horse along byways and bridle paths, and trying to forget how very long it was since he had had a square meal, till the canal had been left very far behind him. He had traveled some miles, his horse and he, and he was feeling drowsy in the hot sunshine when the horse stopped, lowered his head, and began to nibble the grass. And Toad, waking up, just saved himself from falling off by an effort. He looked about him and found he was on a wide common dotted with patches of gorse and bramble as far as he could see. Near him stood a dingy gypsy caravan, and beside it a man was sitting on a bucket turned upside down, very busy smoking and staring into the wide world. A fire of sticks was burning nearby, and over the fire hung an iron pot, and out of that pot came forth bubblings and gurglings, and a vague, suggestive steaminess. Also smells, warm, rich, and varied smells, that twined and twisted and wreathed themselves at last, into one complete, voluptuous, perfect smell that seemed like the very soul of nature taking form and appearing to her children, a true goddess, a mother of solace and comfort. Toad now knew well that he had not been really hungry before, What he had felt earlier in the day had been a mere trifling qualm. This was the real thing at last, and no mistake, and it would have to be dealt with speedily too, or there would be trouble for somebody or something. He looked the gypsy over carefully, 
wondering vaguely whether it would be easier to fight him or cajole him. So there he sat and sniffed and sniffed and looked at the gypsy. And the gypsy sat and smoked and looked at him. Presently, the gypsy took his pipe out of his mouth and remarked in a careless way, Want to sell that there horse of yours? Toad was completely taken aback. He did not know that gypsies were very fond of horse stealing and never missed an opportunity, and he had not reflected that caravans were always on the move and took a deal of drawing. It had not occurred to him to turn the horse into cash, but the gypsy's suggestion seemed to smooth the way towards the two things he wanted so badly, ready money and a solid breakfast. What? he said. Me sell this beautiful young horse of mine? Oh no, it's out of the question. Who's going to take the washing home to my customers every week? Besides, I'm too fond of him, and he simply dotes on me. Try and love a donkey, suggested the gypsy. Some people do. You don't seem to see, continued Toad, that this fine horse of mine is a cut above you altogether. He's a blood horse, he is, partly. Not the part you see, of course. Another part. And he's been a prize hackney, too, in his time. That was the time before you knew him, but you can still tell it on him at a glance, if you understand anything about horses. No, it's not to be thought of for the moment. All the same, how much might you be disposed to offer me for this beautiful young horse of mine? The gypsy looked the horse over, and then he looked toad over, with equal care, and looked at the horse again. Shillin' a leg, he said briefly, and turned away, continuing to smoke and try to stare the wide world out of countenance. A shilling a leg, cried Toad. If you please, I must take a little time to work that out and see just what it comes to. He climbed down off his horse and left it to graze and sat down by the gypsy and did sums on his fingers. And at last he said, A shilling a leg? Why, that comes to exactly four shillings and no more. Oh, no. I could not think of accepting four shillings for this beautiful young horse of mine. Well, said the gypsy, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll make it five shillings, and that's three and sixpence more than the animal's worth. And that's my last word. Then Toad sat 
and pondered long and deeply, for he was hungry and quite penniless, and still some way he knew not how far from home, and enemies might still be looking for him. To one in such a situation, five shillings may very well appear a large sum of money. On the other hand, it did not seem very much to get for a horse. But then again, the horse hadn't cost him anything, so whatever he got was all clear profit. At last, he said firmly, Look here, Gypsy, I tell you what we'll do, and this is my last word. You shall hand me over six shillings and six pence, cash down, and further, in addition thereto, you shall give me as much breakfast as I can possibly eat, at one sitting, of course, out of that iron pot of yours that keeps sending forth such delicious and exciting smells. In return, I will make over to you my spirited young horse, with all the beautiful harness and trappings that are on him, freely thrown in. If that's not good enough for you, say so, and I'll be getting on. I know a man near here who's wanted this horse of mine for years. The gypsy grumbled frightfully and declared if he did a few more deals of that sort, he'd be ruined. But in the end, he lugged a dirty canvas bag out of the depths of his trouser pocket and counted out six shillings and sixpence into Toad's paw. Then he disappeared into the caravan for an instant, and returned with a large iron plate and a knife, fork, and spoon. He tilted up the pot, and a glorious stream of hot, rich stew gurgled into the plate. It was, indeed, the most beautiful stew in the world, being made of partridges and pheasants and chickens and hares and rabbits and peahens and guinea fowls and one or two other things. Toad took the plate on his lap, almost crying, and stuffed and stuffed and stuffed and kept asking for more and the gypsy never grudged at him. He thought that he had never eaten so good a breakfast in all his life. When Toad had taken as much stew on board as he thought he could possibly hold, he got up and said goodbye to the gypsy and took an affectionate farewell of the horse. And the gypsy who knew the riverside well, gave him directions which way to go, and he set forth on his travels again in the best possible spirits. He was, indeed, 
a very different toad from the animal of an hour ago. The sun was shining brightly. His wet clothes were quite dry again. He had money in his pocket once more. He was nearing home and friends and safety and, most and best of all, he had had a substantial meal, hot and nourishing, and felt big and strong and careless and self-confident. As he tramped gaily along, he thought of his adventures and escapes, and how when things seemed at their worst, he had always managed to find a way out, and his pride and conceit began to swell within him. Ho, ho, he said to himself as he marched along with his chin in the air. What a clever toad am I. There is surely no animal equal to me for cleverness in the whole world. After some miles of country lanes, he reached the high road, and as he turned into it and glanced along its white length, he saw approaching him a speck that turned into a dot and then into a blob and then into something very familiar and a double note of warning, only too well known, fell on his delighted ear. This is something like, said the excited toad. This is real life again. This is once more the great world from which I have missed so long. I will hail them, my brothers of the wheel, and pitch them a yarn of the sort that has been so successful hitherto. And they will give me a lift, of course. And then I will talk to them some more, and perhaps, with luck, it may even end in my driving up to Toad Hall in a motor car. That will be one in the eye for Badger. He stepped confidently out into the road to hail the motor car, which came along at an easy pace, slowing down as it neared the lane, when suddenly he became very pale. His heart turned to water. His knees shook and yielded under him, and he doubled up and collapsed in his interior, and well he might, for the approaching car was the very one he had stolen out of the yard of the Red Lion Hotel on that fateful day when all his troubles began. And the people in it were the very same people he had sat and watched at luncheon in the coffee room. He sank down in a shabby heap in the road, murmuring to himself in his despair, It's all up. It's all over now. Prison again. 
dry bread and water again. Oh, what a fool I've been. What did I want to go strutting about the country for, singing conceited songs and hailing people in broad day on the high road, instead of hiding till nightfall and slipping home quietly by back ways? Oh, hapless toad, oh, ill-fated animal. With a cry, the whole party in the car rose and flung themselves on Toad. Seize him, they cried. Seize the Toad, the wicked animal who stole our motor car. Alas, they should have thought they ought to have been more prudent. They should have remembered to stop the motor car somehow before playing any pranks of that sort. With a half turn of the wheel, the toad had jumped in and sent the car crashing through the low hedge that ran along the roadside. One mighty bound, a violent shock, and the wheels of the car were churning up the thick mud of a horse pond. Toad found himself flying through the air with the strong upward rush and delicate curve of a swallow. He liked the motion and was just beginning to wonder whether it would go on until he developed wings and turned into a toad bird when he landed on his back with a thump in the soft, rich grass of a meadow. Sitting up, he could just see the motor car in the pond, nearly submerged, the gentleman and the driver, encumbered by their long coats, were floundering helplessly, in the water. He picked himself up rapidly and set off running across country as hard as he could, scrambling through hedges, jumping ditches, pounding across fields, till he was breathless and weary and had to settle down into an easy walk. When he had recovered his breath somewhat and was able to think calmly, he began to giggle. And from giggling, he took to laughing. And he laughed till he had to sit down under a hedge. Ho, ho, he cried in ecstasies of self-admiration. Toad again. Toad as usual comes out on the top. Who was it got them to give him a lift? Who managed to get on the front seat for the sake of fresh air? Who was it that landed them all in a horse pond? Who escaped, flying gaily and unscathed through the air, leaving the narrow-minded, grudging excursionist in the mud where they should rightly be? Why? 
Toad, of course. Clever toad. Great toad. Good toad. A slight noise at a distance made him turn his head and look back. Oh, misery. Oh, despair. About two fields off, a chauffeur in his leather gaiters and two large rural policemen were visible, running towards him as hard as they could go. Poor Toad sprang to his feet and pelted away again, his heart in his mouth. Oh my, he gasped as he panted along. What an ass I am. What a conceited and heedless ass. Swaggering again, shouting and singing songs again, sitting still and gassing again. Oh my, oh my, oh my. He glanced back and saw to his dismay that they were gaining on him. On he ran but kept looking back. He did his best, but he was a fat animal, and his legs were short, and still they gained. Ceasing to heed where he was going, he struggled on, looking back over his shoulder at the now triumphant enemy, when suddenly the earth failed under his feet, He grasped at the air and, splash, he found himself head over ears in deep water, rapid water, water that bore him along with a force he could not contend with. And he knew that in his blind, wild racing, he had run straight into the river. He rose to the surface, but the stream was so strong that it tore the water's edge from his hands. Oh my, gasped poor Toad. If I ever steal a motor car again, if I ever sing another conceited song. Then down he went and came up breathless and sputtering. Presently, he saw that he was approaching a big dark hole in the bank just above his head, and as the stream bore him past, he reached up with a paw and caught hold of the edge and held on. Then slowly and with difficulty, he drew himself up out of the water till at last he was able to rest his elbows on the edge of the hole. There he remained for some minutes, puffing and panting, for he was quite exhausted. As he sighed and blew and stared before him into the dark hole, Some bright, small thing shone 
and twinkled in its depths, moving towards him. As it approached, a face grew up gradually around it, and it was a familiar face, brown and small, with whiskers, grave and round, with neat ears and silky hair. It was the water rat.